For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, folks. Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited. We're going to kind of do a hybrid episode today, a little bit late, obviously, on the game reaction. I had a couple of things come up personally, uh, and just honestly, like, got, got home pretty late last night and was just a little bit late on the draw for some of the content. So, I am going to be talking about this Nuggets-Mavs game, of course, but also will be talking about uh, why I like where Denver's at, why they are under the radar right now, and what Nuggets fans can expect over the course of these next few games. Uh, That should be fun. And then we'll wrap up by talking about the Western Conference pecking order, something that I think uh, should be an interesting conversation and something that maybe Nuggets fans are happy about, maybe Nuggets fans are not happy about. So we'll see what happens there. All right. If you are in the chat, make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. Would really appreciate that, of course. Uh, that would be the best way to support the podcast, of course. Uh, also, I host The Alley Oop, which if you can find at The Alley Oop with Ryan Blackburn on YouTube. That is a personal project of mine and would love to see if everybody could, uh, if you haven't subscribed over there, then subscribing over there and getting some national NBA content would be good too. All right, let's chat about Denver. Let's chat about this game from last night. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff to talk about. Uh, Here's a good one. Give Reggie sixth man. Like Reggie is a good option for sixth man of the year. He's probably not the best option in the entire NBA. Uh, But the way that Reggie's been playing, I complain about it every now and then just because like, hey, it's some detail stuff, some stuff that you definitely are a little bit frustrated about from here or there. Uh, But that's that's one thing. We'll we'll just start out with that right now. Reggie Jackson uh, on the season is averaging 13.6 points, 4.5 assists, nearly shooting 50 40 on his shooting splits, 45 point or 49.5 from the field. 40.7 from three. He's up to 72.5% from the line. He started out way worse than that. So interesting to see. Interesting to uh, really think about that from that perspective. And he hasn't been, like, he hasn't been great on the defensive end, to be clear, but he hasn't been the liability that I thought he might be. Uh, That is also something to credit. So he deserves a ton of credit for the way that he has stepped up. And then obviously, we're getting some. uh, chats about the Jokic and Peyton Watson commercial that just came out. We also have a video on that on Mile High Sports that Anil Apiro just put out on the short posting side of things. So go check out some of the other content that we have on Mile High Sports when you're done with this show and uh, just go go check in with Anilo's thoughts on 
uh, Peyton Watson and Nikola Jokic studying in a uh, starring in a Hotels.com commercial with a pony and a pool. Uh, some of Jokic's uh, favorite pastimes, if you will. Uh, all right, let's actually talk about the game. Let's talk about what happened for the Nuggets. And I think we should probably start last night talking about, man, Luka Doncic is unbelievable. <laughs> like, it was it was my first takeaway from this thing. Luka in 36 minutes, by the way, he played like 36 of the first 40 minutes of the game or so. And I thought that Jason Kidd was going to keep him out there even like, because Luca was a minus 29. He was out there for all of the tough runs, despite the fact that he did just about everything for the team. Uh, but 38 points, 11 rebounds, eight assists in his time. And it just felt like he was the only guy out there that was really doing anything. The only, like the second highest score was 11 points. And that was Dante Exum who actually shot five of five and was very good. Uh, but there's just not enough help for Luca when Derek Lively is out, when Kyrie Irving is out. Uh, they've got another couple of guys like Maxi Kleba who's not playing. Uh, but Luca is really, really good. I don't think he's going to get a lot of nods for the MVP race because his team is just not good enough. But he is still very, very good. Um, I love to see it. I love to see for sure what... Luca is able to do and the, the relationship that he clearly has with Joker is a nice touch that I'm sure all Nuggets fans can really appreciate because there is a lot of feeling especially like from Nuggets fans that Joker just isn't in the club in a lot of ways in the national conversation and in the American conversation if you will Embiid's probably more in that club than Joker is Giannis is probably more in that club than Joker is uh Joker's not tried to be in that club for sure, but uh, it still shouldn't matter. He is the best player in the world. Uh, but even as the best player in the world, he did not need to do that much last night. Eight points, nine rebounds, seven assists. As Michael Malone noted, it was a triple single in 28 minutes for Nikola Jokic. And it's pretty interesting to look at the box score and look at all of the other production around him. All of the rotation players that the Nuggets played last night had between 8 and 22 points. Joker was a team low, <laughs> tied for a team low. Actually, did they take away? They took away six, or they took away two points for Christian Brown. So Christian Brown actually had six, despite the fact that he had eight on the printed box score last night. Interesting. I'm not sure how that happened. Um, but did they credit some? Oh, they credited two points to Reggie Jackson. So Reggie was at 18 last night when he shouldn't, when he was actually at 20 now. So maybe they just counted two extra points for Christian Brown for some reason last night. I don't know. Anyway, uh, still was good to see the distribution for, for Denver last night. And like Reggie Jackson was one of the leading scorers. Jamal Murray was actually the leading scorer, 22 points on 14 shots. He was very good. Aaron Gordon, very, very good. Probably his best game of the season from an efficiency and an effectiveness standpoint. And it's just a lot to like about where he's at versus where uh, the rest of the team is at and, and how uh, everything seems to be coming together. One of the things that was really lacking behind was Aaron Gordon. Now, what we will see and what we have seen in other games is that when there is a roamer who can roam off of Aaron Gordon and Gordon isn't spacing the floor and shooting threes, then it's a little bit different. But I do think that 
Like Gordon was so great about picking his spots last night and he hit his shots. He was two of three from the three point line. And he also went five of six from the free throw line in the last like five games or so. I think Gordon shooting over 80% from the free throw line, a nice little normalization of his free throw percentage. So that is a good sign and something that may come back down to earth. Uh, Matt Moore and I were talking at the game last night about Denver's starting lineup. And one of the notes that he had when just researching some of the the numbers that Denver's putting up in the Jokic, Aaron Gordon minutes, which are generally their starting group, was that KCP was shooting 35% from three before last night. Michael Porter was shooting 36% from three in those minutes before last night. So that seems like something that can regress positively for Denver. Those guys are both capable of shooting 45% from three in those minutes. And I wonder if they get back to that over the course of these next few games or so. That would not surprise me in the slightest. Um, KCP, welcome back, of course. He had been out due to uh, concussion protocol and looked solid last night. Nothing nothing crazy. He was actually hitting some layups and some nice layups in transition. Uh, had a really nice finger roll in transition. That was very good. Uh, finished with nine points, three rebounds, two assists. That was nice. Um, Jamal Murray, as I mentioned, 22 points. He led the team in scoring four of four from the three-point line. Uh, he was uh, had both good and bad moments, as did I last night. I'm not sure how many of you heard about my, uh, my post-game presser moments. I basically had a brain freeze for 30 seconds while Jamal Murray was staring at me, waiting for me to ask a question. That was super cool. That was actually what I was really looking forward to. <laughs> that was uh, not my favorite, but... Look, it is what it is. You're never, you're never going to win them all, and you're never going to ask perfect questions, and sometimes things like that happen. So that was, uh, that was pretty bad, and I will be better at the, at the podium next time. But uh, no, it was interesting to see, and I am glad that Murray is back. Like He, he had went 0 of 6 against OKC from 3. Then he goes 4 of 4. So it is fascinating. He had been shooting 45% before that, Goes 0 of 6, then goes 4 of 4. You add those together, that's 4 of 10, 40%. Basically normalized his entire OKC performance in one game. That's that's hilarious. Um, he's shooting the ball really, really well. And it is too bad that Murray has been injured because I think if he had been out there and Denver doesn't lose a couple of the road games that they play, and he just plays and, and plays a normal amount of time, and Denver is a top three seed at this point still, then he's probably getting some credit for an all-star nod. But it's probably not going to happen with the games that he's missed. Um, Peyton Watson was very good. His growth has been rapid. He has continued to figure things out. Three of five from the field last night. Ten points, seven rebounds, three assists, a steal, and a block. That's good stuff. That is really, really good stuff. And the growth from him just continues to progress. It is interesting to see, like over the course of these last three games, he is averaging like really good numbers, like 13 points per game, seven rebounds, nearly three assists, a steal and a block. Those are starting caliber numbers. And that is the peak of Peyton Watson's career, basically. So I don't want to just use that as a reason to say, oh yeah, he's going to be great for a long, long time. But he's also 21 years old and he's also basically a rookie. 
So what he's been able to do and the growth that he's been able to show over the course of this last week or so, and even dating before that, he was showcasing his defensive skills over and over again. But now he's starting to put some things together on the offensive end and looks really good. He looks very comfortable. So maybe the key is just to play at home for a significant stretch. I think this is just during the homestand. So nice to see him respond in that manner. And he deserves a lot of credit. Zeke Naji also deserves a lot of credit. He stood out last night in a big way. Uh, 0 of 2 from 3, but basically made everything else. 5 of 6 from 2, 4 of 4 from the line, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal, 1 block. Uh, he was getting cooked by Luka Doncic, as everybody was, but in previous years, Zeke Naji was doing a pretty good job on Luka, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Um, 20 minutes is a good number, and the fact that Jokic only played 28 is also a good number. To me... That is the only number, that and the plus minus are the only two numbers I will ever look at for Zeke. Ever. And the reason for that is because he is, his responsibility is to give Nikola Jokic a break. That is his job. That is something that he has to be able to do and that the Nuggets have to do a better job of more consistently keeping Nikola Jokic's minutes down. Jokic can play 25 minutes, like he can play 30 minutes, like if he has to play 35 minutes, that's fine. But how often has he played 37 or 38 minutes so far this year? It has been way too frequent, and Jokic is one of those guys that will never complain about it. He's always going to play. He's averaging 33 minutes a night right now, and that's that's a good number for him. But so far this year, in... Uh, 27 games played for him. He has put up 36 minutes in 11 of them. And then he's been over 35 minutes in 14. He's been over 30 minutes in 20 of them. He's a star. That's what stars do. The Nuggets need to continue to find ways to reduce his minutes, and it can't just be him getting ejected. He has to play less. This game... He played 2750, according to basketball reference. 2749 was what he played against Cleveland, where he got the five fouls and basically Denver was blown out, so it wasn't a big deal. And then the other two games were below that that he got ejected. So this was technically the fourth lowest minute total that he's had on the season. And Zeke Naji is responsible for that. It's one of the reasons why he has to keep playing hard and the Nuggets have to keep him involved or DeAndre Jordan involved. Like I don't I don't think DeAndre Jordan's going to consistently play 18 to 20 minutes per night off the bench. Like I don't I don't think that he's really capable of doing that, but Denver's got to get better stints from their backup centers. And this was a good start for Zeke. He's got to keep growing. He went against Markeith Morris last night, so I don't want to give him too much credit because that is not a tough matchup. Um, he's got to be better in more consistent matchups. That is what I will say. And then finally, um, Reggie Jackson pick and roll and ISO game last night was really, really good. Uh, particularly the pick and roll when Denver, they have a couple of plays at their disposal. They'll rotate the ball around the perimeter a little bit, set up Reggie Jackson to then get a one, five pick and roll on the move. 
And Reggie did a great job of getting to his spots, getting to his right hand consistently and throwing up either a floater or getting all the way to the rim or taking the pull up too. And if he is able to do that consistently, then the Nuggets are going to be good. Now, a couple numbers from Synergy. He's in the 72nd percentile as a scorer in pick and roll situations. He is in the 13th percentile in isolation in pick and in uh like on synergy. So I do think that there are reasons to believe in what he can do as a pick and roll guy, but Denver should try to avoid the ISO if they can. What those ISOs mostly are is late shot clock. Hey, here, Reggie, chuck this up. So I'm not really going to bemoan that, but he just hasn't been very successful at those. So Denver should try to avoid them if they can. Um, just reading the comments here. Todd Houston says Zeke should be our four, but Malone doesn't really use him as a four. I disagree with that. I disagree with that very strongly. And here's why. Power forwards in the NBA are dead. There are specific roles for guys. And like basically what the game has come down to is, are you a guard? Are you a wing? Are you a forward? Are you a big? Zeke Naji is a big. And there are times where he should play next to Nikola Jokic. I agree with that. But playing him next to DeAndre Jordan doesn't make any sense. I don't think that that makes any sense at all. Zeke might, like, I think he's shooting four of 10 from three on the season. But he is not a floor spacer. No team is closing out hard on Zeke. And when they do close out on him, if they do get out there, what's he going to do, drive past them? Like, he is not a guy who can do the skills that the four requires in the modern NBA. Because if you close out on Zeke, then he has to put the ball on the deck and he has not been successful in his career so far in making those plays and the reading the court. Those are things that are very important. He doesn't read the court very well. And especially from the four position, it's a little bit different from the five where he's seeing the floor a little bit. I think that there's a reason why they've put him at the five a little bit more. I think that they are trying to simplify his game. And I think that it makes sense because he should be a good small ball five. That is what should be, based off of his skill set, a thing. He has to rebound. He has to be the fulcrum. He has to switch on defense and he has to pick and pop on offense. Now, they haven't been picking and popping with him. So I don't think that they trust his three. And that to me is where you kind of don't know what to do with him. But I don't think he's a four. I really do not. And at least in the modern NBA, like you need to do more than just like defend your position and spot up in the corner because that's that's just not something that he's going to be able to do and that the bench is going to be able to do. But it is what it is. Good win for Denver. They deserve a ton of credit there. When we come back, we are going to chat about why I think Denver's under the radar and why I think they're in a good spot. But first, everybody, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Did you know that you could refer a friend and earn a $50 bonus this season with Superbook Sports? Superbook is the most trusted name in sports wagering, and you do not want to miss the refer a friend bonus offer. All you need to do is click on the refer a friend link under your profile in the Superbook app. Share that promo code with your friends and you will get a $50 bonus for everyone who registers using your code. 
So win money wagering and win money referring this season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, make sure to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button down below. Would appreciate all the love and support on the show. Uh, it does help us out tremendously over here. All right. Let's drag these notes over here. I want to be able to read these a little bit better. Um, I think that Denver's in a really good spot. I think that Denver's on a run. And I think that had they not lost the OKC game, we'd be talking about this a little bit differently. Because if Denver wins that, or hypothetically, let's say let's say Shea makes that basket with three seconds left instead of 0.9, and then rather than having Jokic inbound the ball, Denver gets Jokic the ball, he posts up, he hits a turnaround fadeaway for the victory, and vibes are immaculate, everybody's excited, and oh my gosh, like there's there's a five game winning streak that Denver's on because they just blew out Luca and the Mavs, and then the feeling would be a little bit different. I think that that was very close to happening for obvious reasons. I think that a thirty or a, a five game win streak, excuse me, is very very close, and I think that it's possible that Denver goes on another run here based off of where their schedule is at. I'm not concerned about the OKC loss. I, I know some people were. I know some people were concerned about the way that things happened. But if KCP just plays in that game, then it changes the complexion of it. Like, OKC wasn't dealing with any major injuries. If Denver isn't dealing with any major injuries, then it's a little bit different. Now, you can't do retrospect and everybody gets hurt, but Denver's had to deal with some stuff. And KCP, for that team specifically, Denver's smartest perimeter defender yeah, he'd be pretty helpful in a lot of those situations, and Denver wouldn't have been getting, uh, wouldn't have been missing assignments down the stretch of the game like they did against Jalen Williams and the OKC Thunder. So I am in a good spot here with Denver. I think that they're in a good spot. And if you look at the next 13 games, you've got a three-game road trip, a four-game home stand, one game on the road. Two games at home, one game on the road, two games at home. After that, Denver has their hardest stretch of the season. We'll get to that later. We're not going to get to it now. But I do think that over the course of these next 13 games, there can be a lot of good things happening. Denver's in a good spot for there to be a lot of good things happening. Because here's who they're facing. At Toronto, at Brooklyn, at Charlotte. Home versus Golden State. Home versus Memphis, who, uh, congratulations to Ja Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. Ja comes back. It's a big game winner. They look like a different team. They look like a an elevated team from where they stood. Uh, that is a good team now. And I think that they're still relatively weak because of the injuries, but they are dangerous now. Then you've got a back-to-back if you're Denver uh, versus OKC. That's a tough one, but that is at home. 
then Denver faces Charlotte again. And then they go at Golden State. And by the way, that Charlotte game, I believe that is on New Year's Day. Uh, so that is the end of a homestand. That is on New Year's Day. That'll be interesting. Then Denver goes on the road for Golden State. They come back for a back-to-back versus Orlando, another tough team that Denver is facing on a back-to-back, which is annoying. But then they go versus Detroit at Utah versus New Orleans, who not, and is another tough team. And then versus Indiana, who suddenly not a really a tough team. <laughs> Indiana's defense is just so weak that it is hard for them to compete. Uh, Denver will have to be at least a little focused on how to play defense, but if Denver is any way dialed in any way, shape, or form at home, then they should be okay in that one. So that is 13 games, and that is two playoff teams. Both are on second night of back-to-backs, which is annoying, but it is what it is. Two playoff teams out of 13, four play-in teams, and seven teams outside the play-in right now. That is in the t- in the bottom 10 of the NBA. Seven out of their next 13 games. And several of those are at home. So Denver's in a good spot. Denver is in a good place where you have all of these options. You have all of these potential games that Denver can play. All of these games that Denver can rattle off over and over again. And it kind of mirrors what happened last year, right? Like, Denver did play some tougher teams at that point. Um, yeah, did have some tough ones. I'm, I'm reading this comment from Christian, who was uh, talking about my Jamal moment. I think Jamal stared at Ryan because the question was embedded within a subjective opinion. It was hard to unpack what was being asked. I felt for Ryan and kind of that kind of thing is relatable. It it is. It was a uh, kind of that, kind of that Christian. I really was just like my question was not firmly fleshed out. That was the reason why, mostly. Um, but no, jo- like Jamal and I have a good relationship and he he gave me uh, the benefit of the doubt, we'll say. Um, where was I? Denver, kind of mirroring last year, where last year Denver did play some good teams during the, the awesome stretch that they had and there were some good moments there and maybe there could be some good moments in this stretch or maybe the, the seven or eight games that they play beyond these next 13 that will really define where Denver is in the standings in the pecking order. But these are the games that you just got to take care of business. Like it just is plain and simple. You have to take care of business in these moments. And this is what great teams do is they find ways to rattle off wins without stressing out too much. They get to work on things. They get to figure things out. And to be clear, Denver has started that process. They've worked on things and their bench now looks better than it's ever been so far this season. And that is a great sign. Peyton Watson looks like a player. Julian Strother's dialed in. Reggie Jackson's still up and down, but has had more ups than downs, to be clear. And then Christian Brown is still Christian Brown. So I I feel pretty good about where Denver's bench is at. Really, it's not even about the bench. This is about the starters getting back to where they are supposed to be. It's about the starters consistently being in that plus 10 to plus 20 range in these games. And they can do that. They can do that over and over and over and over and over again against this set of teams. Like I said, at Toronto, at Brooklyn, at Charlotte, there's no reason why Denver starters 
can't all be firmly in the positive in those moments. Now they've got to figure some things out and they've got to be dialed in. They have to be focused on those moments. But I do think that Denver cares about their road record a little bit more than I think some people have let on. And I think that they're going to try to go 3-0 and on this road trip. Whether they're actually successful, that remains to be seen. But I do think that they're going to try. And then you come back for these home stands and, and uh, several home games here. And Denver's got some opportunities to, let's say, they, they bounce back in some of these situations. OKC, they'll have an opportunity for revenge. New Orleans, they'll have opportunity for revenge. Orlando, they'll have opportunity for revenge. Are they not going to get up for the Golden State game? Like, come on. Are they not going to get up for John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies? Like, I, th- I think that they will. Now, will they get up for Charlotte? No. Will they get up for Detroit? No. Will they get up for at Utah? Absolutely not. And there will be some times where, okay, they might have to struggle through a stretch here or two where they, they drop a game that you probably don't think that they should. But it just would not surprise me if they go on a run here and they win at least 10 of 13. There's potential that they win 11 of 13 or 12 of 13. I don't think they're going to win all of them because that's just not really the complexion of this team. But I do think that when they're in a good spot, they find consistent opportunities to get into a rhythm. Like they do have an opportunity to go on a seven-game win streak, an eight-game win streak at some point. Will they do it? I don't know. A lot of it is dependent on like how well they shoot. A lot of it is dependent on what level of defense they're willing to play. And if they are trying to lock in, then I think that they could win all of these games. If they don't, then we'll see. But this is the time where you bank wins and this helps your seeding. If Denver doesn't do that, they will be a lower seed in the Western Conference. Maybe not like six, seven, or eight, but they could be a three or a four seed because of where Minnesota is, because of where OKC is. And who knows? Maybe the Clippers continue to rise. They've been playing great. New Orleans, like they lost tonight, but they, they've been playing really well. So I see a lot of these teams being very competitive, and it just wouldn't surprise me if Denver drops uh, from the from the standings if they don't take care of this stretch. So I think they will. I think they will take care of this. And we'll talk about that in um, three weeks or so when the stretch is done. We'll see. We'll see what they can do. We'll see what they do with it. All right. When we come back, we are going to talk about the West pecking order. I promise that. I have some thoughts. I don't know if everybody's going to be super happy. But first, this message from Good Morning Broncos. segment here let's chat about the western conference pecking order i have some thoughts on where teams are at denver is now not in a team yeah denver is now not in a group by themselves they are with the minnesota timberwolves i think i think the minnesota timberwolves have officially graduated into that top tier and here's why they may not be perfect 
Minnesota, but I do think that they have the group that is most likely to bounce Denver from the playoffs in the Western Conference. I do not think it's Phoenix. I do not think it's the Lakers. I do not think it's OKC. I do not think it's whoever. Um, A lot of people thought, okay, maybe Golden State could do it. I don't think so. I I certainly don't now. Uh, But I think... I think Minnesota's really freaking good. And a lot of people are taking their time kind of coming around to that idea. But I remember when Denver played them in game five of the season and a lot of people kind of laughed me off about how serious I was about Minnesota looking great because it was only game five. Well, now it's like game 30 and Minnesota has five losses. Like they're really freaking good. And it's not surprising to me because... I assume that they would kind of figure some stuff out. They're not actually 25 and five. They are 20 and five and they are clearly a very good team, but they're kind of uh, at the top of the West and they have five, they have a five game gap in the loss column between them and Denver. That's a lot at this stage of the season. Like Boston, Boston is 20 and five, but new Orleans are like the, Orlando Magic are 16 and 9. They they only have four losses more. Philly is 18 and 8. They are three losses more. Milwaukee's 20 and 7. They for whatever reason like Milwaukee just doesn't feel like a good team, but they're winning a whole bunch of games, so it's hard to parse that, but they're like keeping pace with Boston a little bit better. I don't know like if Denver's going to be able to keep up with Minnesota. Like they may not. And Denver did go through a really tough stretch of their schedule. And Minnesota's about to go through a tougher stretch of their schedule. So this might even add a little bit. But five games worth? I don't know. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of games. And it's why Denver's head-to-head matchups with Minnesota are going to be important. But I do think that Minnesota's like one of those teams that is good enough to match up really, really well with Denver and force Denver to beat them with elite offense, like just absolutely top tier offense, because it's going to take that in order to defeat the best defense in the NBA. And I think that's what Minnesota is. You've got the best rim protector in the NBA and Rudy Gobert, at least most like consistent and a guy that can really match up with Joker, maybe a little bit better than Chet Holmgren can, but uh, Carl Anthony Towns will defend him on ball. Rudy Gobert will play off of Aaron Gordon. And Jaden McDaniels will guard Jamal Murray. And if it's not him, then it's Anthony Edwards or Nikhil Alexander-Walker or uh, Kyle Anderson or guys like that. Maybe even Troy Brown Jr. or various players of that ilk. So they've got bodies. Like they've got a lot of bodies to throw at Jamal. And they sneaky have a lot of bodies to throw at Jokic. Given that it starts with two seven-footers, oh, three seven-footers if you want to throw in Nas Reed. That is a big deal. Denver didn't have to face Jaden McDaniels and Nas Reed last year. And I'm not here to say that, oh, it would have been different. Like, yeah, Denver might have lost an extra game, but they probably still win that series in six if they face Jaden McDaniels and Nas Reed. Now those, that team's just playing better. They are playing like the best team in the West. And I'm giving Denver the benefit of the doubt, obviously, because they're the champs. But you don't always want to magically say that Denver will figure it out. 
They have to prove it. They have to prove it over time, and they've got to prove it against the best teams in the NBA again. And I will be looking forward to seeing what happens there. Uh, Tony Wright, a good point here. I think MPJ would be a huge factor versus Minnesota. Agreed for a number of reasons, because there might be some instances where Denver has to take Aaron Gordon off the floor in order to battle Rudy Gobert. Because if he is playing the four and defending Gobert or Towns and spacing the floor, then Denver's really spacing everything out. They're forcing Minnesota into some tough decisions. And the Jokic-Murray two-man game, I think, would flourish in that spacing. Not sure it's going to flourish as much in a cramped floor, especially with the size the Minnesota has. So that is interesting to think about. And I think for that reason, I'm going to put them in the same tier as Denver. Now, nobody else is in that tier. And I think that that is a clear point that should be made. Nobody else is in the tier with the Nuggets and the Wolves. Even OKC, who we just saw beat Denver at home. Like, I think I'll say OKC is still one of those teams that is a classic up-and-coming young team that is good enough to really challenge, but not good enough to actually defeat everybody in four straight rounds or in three straight rounds in the West. Now, could they beat Denver in a series? Yeah. OKC is really good, and Shea is that good, and Chet is really good too. Uh, now, do I think that Denver would be better? Better suited in a playoff series, especially to guard a guy like Shea? To work on the details and iron out the details in a situation like that. Yeah. They don't have, they don't have things go through the cracks, but I mean, Mark Dagnall's a great coach and he would really coach up that young team. It's just about them getting experience and they haven't had those experienced points that Denver has had. So like is OKC kind of a hybrid version of the 19 nuggets and the 20 nuggets where Denver just barely missed out on the Western conference finals in 2019, and then ultimately got there in 2020. I think I could see OKC being around there. The Lakers, Suns, and Clippers are in the next tier down. They're in a third tier, and they are in the veteran respect tier. This is a group where, because of what the Lakers did last year, and because that they could just magically trade for Zach Levine because he is a clutch client, uh, and because LeBron is frankly playing at a great level, like they deserve to be in that group. The Suns also deserve to be there because Devin Booker can reach a high level. Kevin Durant can reach a high level. I am worried about Bradley Beal though. And I'm still worried about Yusuf Nurkic. Like the numbers say that Nurkic has been great, but like I still watch the way that they play and I still watch the way that they play against elite teams. And I worry about Yusuf Nurkic. Now for me, like I'm taking pleasure in it because I'm governing the Nuggets, but I still think that that is a weakness of theirs and they just don't have enough bodies if Bradley Beal's just not going to be available. So we'll see what it looks like when he gets back, if he gets back. And the Clippers, they've played really well over the course of these last few games. And I I think that that's a, that's a factor that the Nuggets fans have to respect now, despite the fact that the Nuggets, and I, for obvious reasons, I don't think that they really care about the Clippers, nor should they. We will see. Um, I think the Pelicans are a wild card team. If we're so we're at Minnesota and Denver in tier one, we're at OKC in tier two, we're at Lakers, Suns, Clippers in tier three. I think the Pelicans are in tier four, but they could jump up to tier three depending on how steady they are. 
they haven't been steady for their entire like tenure. So it's hard to really know where to put them, but they're playing good basketball right now. And I think that with Trey Murphy back and Herb Jones playing pretty well and Zion figuring some stuff out and Brandon Ingram looks like he's leveled up at least a little bit. Like there's a reason to believe in that group. Uh, now, are they going to challenge Denver? Probably not. Are they going to challenge one of the other teams? I don't know. Depending on the matchup, maybe. Like they they would probably be a pretty good matchup against against the Suns. Like they would be really good. Herb Jones would do a good job there. Trey Murphy would do a good job there. And then they've got some annoying guys like a Jose Alvarado to face who would be a, a frustrating player for the Suns to have to deal with. Jordan Hawkins would be big in that series. But uh, if Zion could be a small ball five in that series, that'd be, that would be a fun one. Suns Pelicans for sure. Um, the Kings and the Mavericks are in tier five for me. I don't really see a way that they jump into that next tier up of, like with those veteran groups. Like, I really don't. I just don't think that there's enough defense. I don't think that there's enough, like in some cases, talent, but like mostly it's just defensive personnel to be able to surround the stars in a way that they can flourish because there's a lot of pressure on those stars, whether it's Fox and Sabonis in Sacramento or it is Luca and Kyrie in Dallas. Like, I, I think that both of those teams are mirror images of each other basically the kings have way more vibes the mavericks have two more talented players uh i just don't think that it's going to work either way and those two teams are it's going to be tough for them to match up with the best in the west for that reason and then the warriors are dead they're just dead like this is not a conversation until they change personnel they're not good enough, man. Like, they just aren't. And Andrew Wiggins has fallen off the cliff. Uh, Steph Curry's actually not been perfect. He's not been great this year. He has been good. He's been great. He hasn't been spectacular. And there's some uh, there's some reduction coming there. Uh, Draymond is not good enough. Clay is not good enough. Although Clay has had, like, he has definitely figured some stuff out for sure. Uh, over the course of these last few games, ever since he like basically called himself out for sucking, and he he did, he was horrible for much of the beginning of the season. We'll see whether that can bounce back ultimately, but Chris Paul will set the table. He's not going to do anything too game changing there, though. It is really going to be about if they could trade for an upgrade, because with Draymond there, I just don't believe in it. I don't believe in him figuring it out again. I just don't. I think he's done. And that's too bad because like he should be a guy who like he he's not a guy that's going to ride off into the sunset and be super positive, but it's it would be nice if he could. It's just not going to happen though. They're going to need a shakeup. I think that like the Laurie Marketing rumor that came out that would be interesting. Like they would be a way more dynamic team with him in the lineup. Their defense can find ways. The Warriors' defense can find ways, but they just don't have enough athleticism and shooting and dynamic talent in order to really facilitate it. So, I don't know. Like, Kevon Looney hasn't been good enough. Gary Payton II is whatever. Their young guys are hit or miss, and 
you would like for them to trust Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga a little bit more, but they just won't. So until things change, I don't really know what to do with them. Like, I just know that they're not going to win the title unless they trade somebody. So look, uh, the West is interesting. I think that Denver has some competition. I think that there are a lot of talented teams. There are some good teams. I don't think any team other than Minnesota right now can seriously challenge the Nuggets. I think Minnesota can challenge the Nuggets. I do. And it's going to be on Denver to figure out a way to figure that out because they're not going to overreact to what Minnesota did. But I will. I'll be looking for those matchups for sure. And I will be identifying what they do and and just trying to zero in on what they've done and what they're continuing to do. Because there is reason to believe in what Minnesota has put together. Um, Now, maybe it goes back to what Denver did at the beginning of that series. And maybe that's not actually a big deal. Maybe Jamal Murray just shoots over Jaden McDaniels and continues to make shots. And that'll be fine. I just think they're going to make it hard. And that is probably the most important thing against Denver. Is to make it as difficult as possible. And then they've got a guy like Anthony Edwards who thinks he's Michael Jordan. So, if he actually is... That could be a problem. So we will see what happens. But for now, folks, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Uh, camera quality I, I saw was a little bit laggy today. So sorry about that. I'll Next time I'll close a few more windows and try to make it less laggy if possible. But really appreciate all the love. Really appreciate all the support. Make sure to hit that like button down below. Would really appreciate all of that and just if you could continue to support both this channel and the alley-oop that would be tremendous thank you so much everybody for tuning in appreciate all the love and support on the podcast as always talk to you guys very soon